0: Hey, everyone. I've got something to share before we get started with this episode. If you are not already a subscriber of the Financial Times, then you're definitely going to want to pay close attention. On Wednesday, September 18th, that's this Wednesday, we're lifting the paywall on FT.com. That means that you can read everything from the latest on global oil supply to the ins and outs of how Netflix is spending its money. And you're definitely going to want to read more on what we're covering on today's show. I'll recommend a few stories to get started at the end of this episode. Now, on with the show. For much of this year, WeWork has been one of the most anticipated IPOs. This is the real estate company that rents out co-working spaces, one that pitches itself as a tech company. But as the company faces challenges with going public and as its losses and corporate governance deter investors, it's WeWork's biggest backer that's coming under pressure. Hello and welcome to Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. On this episode, we're looking at SoftBank and its investment in WeWork and why Trouble at WeWork is raising questions about the vision of SoftBank's masayoshi Son.
1: So I was introduced to WeWork when I, um, I had just finished covering capital markets and I was handing over the beat.
0: Eric Platt covers deals for the FT in the U.S.
1: And a source of mine came to me complaining about like, all these high-yield bonds from like, tech companies that shouldn't be testing high-yield bond markets. And among them, they mentioned WeWork. And I was like, hmm, WeWork's not issuing a corporate bond. What are you talking about? And they're like, no, no, they are. And based on that, we broke the story that WeWork was coming to tap corporate bond markets to fund themselves.
0: That's when we last covered WeWork on Behind the Money, last spring, when the company issued $702 million worth of high-yield bonds. This was to fund some of its operations. It was the first time many bond investors and financial reporters had a chance to see inside the inner workings of WeWork. Eric, what's the story that WeWork has been trying to pitch both to, you know, potential customers and investors?
1: What they're purporting to do is elevate the world's consciousness, right? That is what Adam Newman and Rebecca Newman, uh, Adam's wife and one of the, um, you know, an employee at WeWork. They are staking this company on, right? This is about more they say than just renting out office space. It is about building communities across the world. But, you know, the real business is renting out office space to companies, to freelancers, on a membership that's, you know, equivalent to a House or Equinox membership, but in hundreds of locations, in you know, I think they're in more than 30 countries, and more than 110 cities. It's a scale that we just, like, haven't seen before. WeWork likes to think that it is pushing the envelope even further on tech. And to some degree, they are, right? They've really changed the way people think about renting office space. And so WeWork is trying to turn this, you know, property as a service. They're thinking, like, you know, J.P. Morgan doesn't need an internal uh, leasing arm. This should be something that they can outsource completely to WeWork. We'll do it for less, and the benefits will be even better for the company.
0: You talk about the scale and this idea of thinking about real estate through tech, which I think I understand. But this comes at a pretty high price, doesn't it?
1: For almost every dollar in revenue they generate, they're losing almost $2. WeWork's losses are growing right in tandem with the revenue. Executives there pitch this as, you know, like they are spending to open and, you know, grow themselves so that they will become, you know, the dominant player in co-working spaces. But I think to a lot of critics, it's like, well... Sure, you say you could turn off the taps, but one will you? It's a controlled company, and Adam has ultimate, you know, ultimate say. But also, in a downturn, yeah, you turn off the taps, but then occupancy starts to decline. So even then, you're facing, you know, this other this, this struggle that every other real estate company is is also in.
0: And that brings us to a key piece of the WeWork story, right? Which is who has been backing them as a private company and given them the cash to operate like this.
1: So it's, it's it's two things. There are like, you know, all these investors like Tiro and Fidelity, uh, you know. The, institutional the investors. Institutional investors that like you and I might have our retirement accounts in, right? Who were investing in this before it went public. And there were also venture capital firms in it. But then there is one company and one investor that stands above them all. And that is Masayoshi son of SoftBank. This is the Japanese, you know, telecoms te- technology group that raised a $100 billion vision fund. And it is the equivalent of, you know, giving a company speed or something like that to real, or, you know, choose your poison sure. to just, you know, you inject this in their arm and suddenly they've got $4 billion or $10 billion in the case of WeWork to spend. And that changes the game. Mm-hmm. Right. When in talking to some people at WeWork, it was like every time they closed another round, it was like, God, we're sitting on six, seven billion dollars of capital and or in commitments. Of course we have to open six hundred locations. Like, what else do we do with this capital? Without SoftBank, the WeWork story would not be nearly as extraordinary.
0: Right. Softbank, either on its own or through its vision fund, has poured nearly eleven billion dollars into the company.
2: With Masasan, the thing you need to understand is he sees himself as seeing the future.
0: Arash Masudi is the FT's corporate finance and deals editor.
2: He he thinks he has a three hundred year view of the future, and so he sees his role as an allocator to enabling companies to achieve, you know, the technology of the future, and he having a slice of their company and riding it down the road and profiting off it. So what he looks for are and he talks about this all the time is just insatiable entrepreneurs people who can't be stopped people who are a force of nature in many ways people who he thinks are a reflection of himself when masa Sun and softbank talk about investing in your company and they say well we're talking about 100 to 200 million but what would you do if we gave you 500 and he wants someone who can give him an answer and i think in adam newman perhaps masa Sun met his match in the ultimate hustler right and it's important when we talk about softbank and masa Sun's investments that we differentiate between SoftBank investments with its own balance sheet and SoftBank Vision Fund investments. These are two different things. At various times, they invest together. But you really, it's hard to have a full picture of exactly where stuff sits, whether it's in the Vision Fund or with, with SoftBank itself. Right. I mean, it began with Masayoshi in this famous kind of 11-minute meeting with with Newman where he decides to give him billions upon billions of dollars. And that was a few years ago. It was a very high-profile uh, investment. But by the end of last year, SoftBank was in talks to put $16 billion of fresh capital into the company. And over Christmas, this breaks down.
0: Right, so SoftBank ends up putting a $1 billion of fresh capital into Wheatwork at this valuation of $47 billion. And then it buys another billion dollars worth of existing shares at a valuation of $20 billion.
2: On one hand, they're marking up the value of something they've invested in with other rounds, and they're the only people putting money in at that value. So they're marking their own investment up. But on the other hand, when it comes to taking existing shares off the market, they're acknowledging a different price. And so what, what the heck actually was the price of WeWork? But the key, key breakdown was that the Vision Fund, which was also a significant source of capital for WeWork, uh, decided to pull out from providing further funding to WeWork. And that's partially because the key backers of the Vision Fund, namely Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, were wondering — who already, by the way, are big players in the real estate space Mm — why on earth had they given money to this guy who presents himself as a technology investor and he's pumping their money into real estate assets? Uh, they could have gone to Blackstone. They could have gone to like some of the more sophisticated real estate investors if that was the point of this. So they pull out and, and you know, Rajiv Mizra, who's the CEO of the Vision Fund, also does not like WeWork as a va- at a valuation of $47 billion. And so the Vision Fund very much broke away from Masa and decided it did not want to participate in this latest fundraising round. And that actually set in motion the reality that WeWork needed more money. And set set the stage for this IPO having to be sped up, because if SoftBank had plowed another 16 billion of capital into the company, this IPO might be three years down the line.
0: Sure. So even though at the end of last year, WeWork had filed the initial confidential paperwork with the SEC to go public, this ordeal in January kind of speeds up the window that WeWork sees itself as having to go to the public markets. Arash... As the Vision Fund is kind of breaking away at this point from Masa-san on, so at least specific to the WeWork investment, what Masasan Masa-san thinking about the company? What, why is he prepared to up his bet when others aren't?
2: Big picture what's going on in SoftBank is this attempt to ev- evolve what they are and allow Masa to just pump money into, into companies he thinks will achieve, uh, you know, be the kind of winners of the future. And achieve a certain level of size and heft, which they then benefit off of. Let's talk about it in terms of like, what are the things Masa would have liked about WeWork? Kind of companies that typically go in there are smaller, potentially of startup type characteristics, could potentially provide a lot of data in terms of what's going on both in the economy, but also what's going on with new interesting lines of business. And if you look at it from a macro-macro scale then, of the entire WeWork global apparatus as it spun around the world and opened all these new offices, that's a huge web of data. And that seems to be what Masa and his team have all been after, is data. And sort of what kind of connections, what sort of synergies could their portfolio companies provide to all these other companies that are working in WeWork? Can they fuse these things together? So I think if we look at if you look at that from that aspect, you can see why there's a whole lot of information that is in the WeWork system that could be valuable to someone like SoftBank, who then would try to engineer ways to benefit from it from its ecosystem. You know this sort of ecosystem Masa talks about. If you look at it like a rational investor, all you see is a company that is making long-term commitments to pay, you know, lease a building and then renting them out in short-term, short-term slices, uh, and ultimately. Many people believe that when there's a reckoning, that mismatch means that you're on the hook for long leases.
0: When you say reckoning, you mean perhaps like a market correction?
2: Yeah, exactly. This has all happened as interest rates have stayed at an unbelievably ro- low rate for the last decade. Economic growth has been stable, not strong really recently. And people are worried a correction or a recession is is coming. And this mismatch between the liabilities of a company that is paying uh, rent long term and renting it out uh, short term to companies, at some point, maybe those companies go bust or they can't, they, they don't want to stay, they want to move. And that sort of reckoning about the liabilities of WeWork would come. I mean, that is what, why some of the world's top real estate investors have told me, and they've said it on background, they don't want to be on the record, that they've tried to model WeWork's investments and WeWork's business, and they see no business there.
0: So SoftBank does this $2 billion investment in January and then WeWork says, OK, we've we got to get this IPO process moving. But here's the thing. SoftBank isn't only invested in WeWork. It's backed a ton of other companies, some that have hit the public markets in that time frame.
2: So, yeah, this this year was meant to be the proof in the pudding. Masayoshi Sun and Vision Fund had spent, you know, this $97 billion fund had spent almost all of the money it had available to spend within two to three years of its launch, which is, you know pretty significant amount of money spent. Uh, and the way they were going to prove to the world that they were so sophisticated, so much smarter, that they just knew what they were doing and the rest of us are all schmucks was by a series of IPOs that would happen, which would take these companies, these late-stage investments that they made into companies like Uber, into companies like Slack. They would begin trading on the stock market and they would sh- show to their investors that, look, look, these things are up from the point we invested in them and everything is hunky-dory. And by the way, most importantly, this is why you should invest in our second vision fund, which we're launching at $108 billion. A second
0: massive vision fund.
2: Uh, And so Slack, Uber, WeWork were the proof in the pudding for why SoftBank should get more money from global investors so that it can do this all over again. And let's just say that hasn't gone to plan. So Uber shares down significantly from the IPO price. SoftBank is underwater. Uh, on its investment, Slack is trading roughly below the reference price of twenty six dollars a share that it it began. Uh, it planned to go public at. It went all the way up to forty on its opening day. It's back down at twenty five dollars a share.
0: And now we've got WeWork, which SoftBank last invested at that famous $47 billion valuation. At least at the time of this recording, they've shelved the IPO. One of the biggest IPOs of the year is now officially on hold. So just based on analyst commentary around the We company, we do know that this company had been struggling to drum up investor support. There have been a host of concerns around corporate governance, the path to profitability and the viability of this business model. On that, Perhaps most importantly, before WeWork postponed the roadshow, the FT reported that bankers had been testing investor appetite for these new shares at a price that would value the company at less than a third of that $47 billion. So, Arash, how is all of this looking for Masasan and for SoftBank?
2: On the one hand, vindication to the Saudis and the Abu Dhabi investors in the Vision Fund and to Rajiv Mizra, uh, who's the CEO of the Vision Fund, who were anti-putting even more money into this at the start of the year. Uh, because it looks like they were right. This business is not worth anything close to what SoftBank was talking about investing in. On the other hand, the fact that this is going so horribly badly in September, just as they announced plans to launch the second vision fund, I mean, this is destroying the perception of SoftBank. Every day this goes on, this agony of WeWork goes on. And if I'm sitting there as someone who signed a non-binding commitment to put money into its next vision fund, mm. I am watching this horror show, and I am wondering... Why am I doing this?
0: So where do we go from here? I mean, Masa-san's private investment has played such a huge role in the growth of some of today's best-known companies, certainly the ones who have stayed private for so long. I mean, 80 companies in total, six of those that have been backed by the Vision Fund have gone public, and only two are trading above their IPO price. What happens if Masa-san's vision doesn't quite pan out?
2: You know, the truth is that the first vision fund has been raised, the money has been spent. SoftBank is going to have to find a way to get through it. Uh, Whether its investors make a big return or not, that's all on the line with some of these investments, Uber, WeWork, etc. SoftBank has many years to come good on that. The goal and the entire orientation and the entire energy of that organization has been behind raising a second vision fund. And there are huge doubters out there. And somehow they were able to announce this summer that they were going to raise $108 billion and they had these commitments that were non-binding. And the entire focus of that organization right now is getting those commitments to go from non-binding to binding and getting that money and beginning to spend again. Because MASA is, is like, I mean, someone who can deploy an entire $100 billion fund in a few years. That's quite an aggressive rate of spending. No kidding. Without that next vision fund... It will raise all sorts of questions and by the way already it's been reported we have reported that almost half of that hundred and eight billion that they claimed was committed was actually softbank and softbank employee capital so really they were only raising like 60 billion and if they can't even raise anywhere near that or if people back out of the fund you're gonna start seeing the gloss really come off the softbank story and that that's why so much is at stake with WeWork, and that's why there's such attention on this
0: There is so much more to come on this story, and you can stay up to date on all of it at FT.com. And when we lift the FT.com paywall on Wednesday, you can dive right in. Take a look at the show notes for this episode. We've linked to some of our best reads on WeWork and SoftBank. Plus, I added in a few of my favorite FT links. I'd love to hear what you think. You can tweet me at Amy P. keen. That's A-I-M-E-E-P-K-E-A-N-E. Or you can email us at BehindTheMoney at FT.com. One last thing before we go. Last week, I had the great pleasure of taking a Behind the Money story to NPR's The Indicator podcast. Host and former FT colleague Cardiff Garcia and I chatted all about China's effect on the luxury goods market. You can find the episode of The Indicator by Planet Money in all of the usual podcast places. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks.